This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on the Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, and welcome to The Hash, coming to you live on Coindesk TV. Also, if you're listening on the Coindesk Podcast Network, we are there as well. I am Zach Seward. I am joined by Jensen Assey and George Kaloudis today. We have a couple things to get to, so let's do it. George, talk to us about I'm first. for a U.S. I'm first. spot Bitcoin ETF. Go. Awesome. It's been a while since I've been on The Hash, and I'm glad my reintroduction allows me to live up to my fun guy reputation. Because my story today, like you hinted at, is all about the long winding road that is the Bitcoin spot ETF and still trying to gain approval in the United States by the SEC. Basically, ETFs trade just like stocks and a Bitcoin ETF would hold Bitcoin and trade like a stock. You would think that those ETFs you know, would hold the Bitcoin and then allow traders to buy the ETF to get price exposure to Bitcoin, right? Not exactly, at least in the United States. Instead, the US-based Bitcoin ETFs are futures ETFs and they don't hold any Bitcoin. Instead, they hold some weird derivative contracts that somehow make the ETF mimic the price of Bitcoin. We totally have never seen this before, guys, and it totally didn't do bad things for the world economy. No siree, right? So the news, there was an approval of yet another Bitcoin futures-based ETF in the United States, but all the policy nerds are super excited about it because this time it was improved under the Securities Act of 1933 and not the Security Act of 1940, like we've seen before. I'm not even going to pretend I understand the political and legal nuances of this. And quite frankly, it's sort of annoying that there are weird laws in place that have been precluding the spot ETF in the US. But there are really smart people who are working on the smart ET spot ETF who claim that this is a good thing, since our courts are based on precedents. So this should set a precedent for a path to a spot ETF in the US. That sounds great. Jen, you want to talk about this? I just want to say Canada has had a spot ETF since February of 2021. And so reading the story is just, I'm so over talking about the spot ETF. I think last year we were like, oh, it might happen. Oh, it might not happen. And now we're talking about two acts that were drawn up in 1933 and 1934. And I never thought that I would be so optimistic reading about two acts that were drawn up in the 30s. But reading about the optimism felt good for the U.S. I just feel like the spot ETF story is such like a womp womp. There are other ways for people to gain exposure to Bitcoin. And it's fine in my eyes if the SEC wants to take their sweet time on approving a spot ETF because there are other things that I wish they would move faster on. This isn't one of them. But Zach, what do you think? I agree with you. I think if you zoom out and you get outside of the U.S. context, the idea that a Bitcoin spot ETF is exotic is a bit laughable, right? We're seeing all sorts of exotic <laughs> cryptocurrency ETPs in the European market and also in Canada, I think also in Brazil. So the idea that the U.S. is so far behind on this thing is kind of interesting to me. And I think if you look to some of the other examples in some of the other markets that are the U.S., there might be some lessons for whether or not these vehicles are subject to the price manipulation and the other you know, lack of consumer protection that the SEC currently alleges around these products. But that doesn't seem to be happening. These data points don't seem to be being incorporated into the current analysis. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting to see if this ever shakes out. Maybe the optimism is there. Maybe the tea leaves are there. This was a really nice piece by Mike Belushi, sort of putting the pieces together here. And I think it's a piece worth checking out. But certainly people who are rushing to get a spot Bitcoin ETF over the line, and there are a number of them in the US, again, they seem to be thinking that this is a positive sign as we inch toward that thing that is already widely embraced and accepted in other markets around the world. George, 
going to throw it to you though. Yeah. And a positive thing to say on top of this, while all these institutions are super excited about, you know, potentially being able to buy their Bitcoin spot ETF because, you know, their mandates don't allow them to do that now. At least people have been able to get access to it. And I'm talking about people like just regular people. They've been able to buy, you know, their Bitcoin on Coinbase or or through Stripe or whatever. And it's the institutions this time who are far behind. So if there's any consolation, whenever it does happen, retail can then dump their coins on institutions. And this time we're going to make the money, not them. I'm going to channel my inner Will Foxley and propose a vote. Do we think this is going to happen this year? Are we going to get a Bitcoin spot ETF in the US? George? Yes. Not financial advice. Zach? No, just because George says yes. No, I don't care. I think these things are sort of like, again, Bitcoin light, right? They are access to the price activity without any of the trouble of having to deal with the actual thing themselves, right? I think eventually these things might end up looking a bit outdated as other kind of more truly crypto products get rolled into traditional like, you know, brokerage giants that you may invest your retirement savings in. So for now, it almost seems like the U.S. is kind of wanting to wait this one out. And I don't know whether that's going to change over the course of this calendar year, but I don't care a ton. So whatever George says, <laughs> I say the opposite, just to say. As a nice welcome back to George. No, you've been outvoted on the hash. Sorry. Okay. George is okay, the only guy right here. So he's, he's probably, he's probably going to get it right. So <laughs> yeah, I put my true. money on George, even though I say the opposite of what he says. All right, <laughs> let's change gears. We talked about ETFs enough. What are we talking about next? We are talking about DeFi. Let's talk about DeFi. MakerDAO, which is a DeFi pioneer, one of really the OGs of the DeFi space who showed the world that DeFi lending could happen. Big time, Ethereum stalwart. They've been in a, a staple of that DeFi ecosystem for many a year. And now they're inching towards sort of their multi-chain future, for starting with the StarkNet bridge, which is a, a layer two scaling solution uh, that ideally would make some of the inner workings of the Maker Protocol a bit more cheap to execute for more users. So this is interesting because multi-chain crypto has certainly been a big trend in the last maybe year or so as people sort of dabble in other smart contract base layers. And MakerDAO right now is wanting to get in on the action with its first baby steps. Now, this is a phased rollout. There's a couple things here if you read the piece itself. But the big headline, I think, is this is its first step toward that multi-chain future. And it's notable for what remains a big player in the DeFi space. George, I'm going to throw it to you. What do you think about MakerDAO trying to build connections to more blockchains? I grew very weary and skeptical of anything that is cross-bridge and certainly anything that points to wormhole, which may have actually been aptly named given it was a wormhole for user funds as, as an inspiration, right? And I'll take one out of Vitalik's book here and just warn against cross-bridge implementations. To me, it feels like you can build a house of cards that cannot be easily unwound, sort of like the you know effective leverage that we see in our legacy financial system that we get from all the sexy things that our friends at Wall Street are building. You start putting things on from one chain to another chain and connect things, you have a house of cards and it could fall over. I guess there's demand for it. So there is a reason to want to do this. But I grow very, very weary and skeptical of this because crypto itself is still not very big. And another very, very big cross-chain, cross-bridge or whatever it's called, hack or whatever, could actually spell doom for a lot of the people in the space. But I want to I hear what Jen has to say if she has anything. Yeah. So firstly, I don't know if we can get the photo from this article back. It's a screen grab from, I think it's Brady Dale's explainer video uh, on Coindesk's YouTube channel. That is my brain sometimes. 
on this show. That's like how I'm connecting the dots. Yep. Like a child. <laughs> so there it is on the screen. Um, for So just building off the back of what you said, George, I mean, MakerDAO is really delivering on their roadmap. And we've seen a lot of these roadmaps in the space be really aggressive. And so this is a phased rollout. And I appreciate at the end of the article, we have engineer Louis Baudouin, I believe it's pronounced. And he talks about the different phases and says that they're looking at how to mitigate risks and that they've learned from the Solana wormhole and the polyhack. And so they are implementing things that should prevent hacks from happening as they move fast and break things. And I just want to see how this plays out because a lot of these projects are being so public about moving fast and breaking things and creating all of these solutions to real user issues. But with those solutions, I think we find a lot of bugs and it's those users who end up suffering the downfall. And so I would like to see how this all rolls out. Zach? Sure. We all want to see how it all rolls out. <laughs> you know, Future is wild and see. <laughs> Yeah, I think that, uh, by the way, you should definitely check out that video. That illustration by Brady Dale is admittedly some of his finest work. He had the little ether being locked up in the jail, over-collateralized ether, generating the dye it's out of the maker. Just like, yeah, Protocol, speaking my language. Fully explained with drawings and everything. Amazing. Anyway, check it out on the CoinDesk YouTube. But yeah, MakerDAO doing this, I think, is significant because it says, hey, MakerDAO, we're part of the conversation. We, we know what's going on in the market. We're sort of out there quietly. We are one of the more decentralized protocols that exist in the decentralized world. And we don't make a lot of noise, but in the background, there is DAO governance happening. And DAO governance is saying, hey, we need to get on this multi-chain thing because there is plenty of opportunity on some of these fresher chains. And the fact that they're going with StarkNet, which is out of Starkware, is something that is certainly notable. So interesting one to watch. We'll see if they can really learn from those lessons as that last quote in the piece lays out, right? If those lessons can be learned from, that is a good thing. We often say that these hacks are just battle testing of the entire DeFi market. Let's hope that that is the case here and that the lesson does get learned. All right, Jen, I'm going to toss it your way. You have some NFT news, actually. What do you got? We are going over to the NFT desk. Okay, Coinbase has launched their beta version of their NFT marketplace. So we've been waiting for this for a while. It's gotten a lot of hype. Now a small group of users on the waitlist have access to it. So the marketplace supports Ethereum-based NFTs and has a social media bin the platform is going to let users showcase their personal profile and follow accounts whose content will appear in their For You feed. Users will also be able to like and comment. So I think we've brought up on the show a bunch, you know, NFTs being the next version of social media, the next version of online communities. And now we're seeing a marketplace kind of build something that looks like social media. So, I mean, I have a few thoughts on this, but Zach, I'm going to kick it down to you first. Do you think that Coinbase can gobble up some of that NFT marketplace share? I think so. I mean, they're a big player in the space. And I think people who maybe have been, you know, curious about what this NFT thing is, and they, they have a Coinbase account, they don't want to necessarily bother with, you know, MetaMask or trying to link that to OpenSea, the more on-chain marketplaces. I think Coinbase is smart to sort of roll out a middle ground here for some of those users who say, okay, hmm, maybe I should try this NFT thing. But really, my only gateway to the crypto economy is my Coinbase account. So if they are able to sort of serve that market segment, I think that they might thrive there. It may not be for people who are hardcore OpenSea users, and that's fine, right? There's a lot of optionality built out across the crypto industry. And so for some folks who want that more 
you know, centralized touch, that custodial finesse, this may be the play rather than the more wild west on-chain sort of ethos of the rareables, the open seas of the world. But I will say the NFT marketplace space is getting rather crowded. You know, we heard FTX get into this space. Coinbase now has its thing. I think crypto.com, you name it, right? There's all these centralized players who are uh, getting involved. There are also sort of these on-chain marketplaces across a number of networks, be it Tezos, Solana, Ethereum, you name it. So it is getting really crowded in a market that's kind of cooled off. I don't know if there's going to be a ton of volume to support all these different options and all these different users. But right now, sort of as the data indicates, the vast majority of on-chain NFT volume is existing on OpenSea. So it'll be interesting to see if Coinbase can chip in some of those numbers or if it's just another user subset entirely and it's, uh, it's additive. Who knows? We'll see. George, throwing it your way. Yeah, I think any casual crypto fan should actually be overjoyed. I'm saying a lot of nice stuff today, aren't I? NFTs are the thing that got a lot of people into crypto and Coinbase is the exchange that most Americans think about when they think of cryptocurrency. So that's probably pretty exciting for people who like crypto and who like NFTs. Before I throw it to the NFT queen who actually knows what she's talking about, I think there are real, a couple of interesting things here. And one is nice and one is probably not. I'll go to the not so nice one. The quotes from the article. Let me read this. The marketplace will start off with zero transaction fees. Parentheses. Besides Ethereum gas costs. Isn't that the thing that got people really mad about using NFTs? They were priced out because they just spent $300 to buy a $100 picture of a cat. LOL. That's really the main criticism there. The nice thing I'll say is that the idea of progressive decentralization that Coinbase says is part of their plans is something that I'm seeing a lot more often now. And I think it's actually kind of cool. Obviously, as a Bitcoiner, I prefer you know, the immaculate conception of a fully decentralized system from day one. But that's obviously just not possible now. So it's really kind of cool to see these things coming on and say, okay, we're not centralized now, but we have a way to get there. I think that's kind of cool. So that's my sort of nice thing to say. Jen? Anything to say about NFTs? I was going to bring up the progressive decentralization bit too. I thought that was really interesting. So they said that certain features are going to start off centralized, but will eventually move on chain. And this includes user comments and follower graphs, which can move from platform to platform. And that is an interesting way to look at the future of social media, I think. But what's kind of mind boggling for me is in Web2, in the current state of the interwebs, you know, you have your bank, you have your online banking, and you have your social media. And those two things are very separate, right? And if we look at Web3, Coinbase is kind of like the online bank of Web3. But now it's like they also want to be your social media. And so I wonder how users are going to react to that and what kind of mind shift it's going to take. I think it's really interesting. I think it could work for them. And Coinbase is doing a lot of interesting and out of the box things. You know, they started as an exchange. Now they're getting into Hollywood film production with the Board Ape Yacht Club. They're going to have this platform where people can comment and like and share and build communities. And so I think it will be interesting to see how this kind of like bank can gain user sentiment in maybe a way that we hadn't seen before. So that's how I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I think something that is a problem in NFT world and art NFT world is exploring and finding new projects. So if Coinbase can bring a social media aspect to this, this actually could be something great for NFTs, right? That's sort of my big criticism of NFTs anyway. So I actually had a brain blast uh, about a really bold claim. So it's been conference season, right? And a Bitcoin I really respect said something about using NFTs for a concert and event tickets. And that actually felt like something that would really work well. So is Coinbase going to go and buy StubHub and compete with Ticketmaster? Maybe. 
some spicy speculation. That'd be kind of cool. I don't know if they're going to go all the NFTs. Some, you might as well do stuff. There are some cool NFT ticket projects that I think have partnered with Ticketmaster. I think you're talking about Yellow Heart. There's some couple of projects that have been doing that stuff for a bit, but could be interesting. Interestingly, I think this is interesting to me. Coinbase stock was down on this news about 4%. Thought this would be a little shot in the arm for mainstream investors trying to get access to the NFT sector through a big hmm. crypto blue chip. But nope, down about 3% on the day. All right, that's it for the show today. We're The Hash. I'm Zach. That's Jen. That's George. We'll be back again tomorrow. Thanks for watching us. Thanks for listening to us. If you haven't tried it out already, The Hash podcast on the Coindesk podcast network is really great. You know what we say? It's The Hash for your ears. Check that out wherever you download podcasts. Thanks. Have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.